0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 334 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading the second chapter of Revelation today, and our focus is on Did Jesus ever write letters to anybody? Do we have any surviving writings of Jesus? And how was Satan's throne in Pergamum? Well, every day we get into the Word of God, seeking to understand and most of all follow it. We do that by listening to the Word, thinking about it, and discussing it on this show. Thanks for joining us. Please do consider sharing the show with a friend or a neighbor, maybe a social media post or just a regular old conversation. We do have a website. It's Bible2021.com. That's Bible2021.com. Well, Today's opening question is a little cheeky. I'll admit, in a sense, of course, Jesus did not write any books, letters, or poems that we know of, which have survived to the modern times. But yes, as we've discussed before, there is supposedly this letter that was dictated by Jesus to a king named Abgar of Edessa. Now, the normally quite reliable historian Eusebius of Caesarea wrote in his uh, one of his first church history books, it was called ecclesiastical history, and it was written all the way back in 325 AD, that Jesus did send the disciple Thaddeus to King Abgar with the following message. Blessed are you who has believed in me without having seen me. For it is written concerning me that they have, they who have seen me will not believe in me, and they who have not seen me will believe and be saved. But in regard to what you have written me, that I should come to you, it is necessary for me to fulfill all things here for which I have been sent, and after I have fulfilled them, thus to be taken up again to him that sent me. But after I have been taken up, I will send to you one of my disciples, that he may heal your disease and give life to you in yours. Well is that really a letter from Jesus? You know, I, I I, have no idea. It's possible, I suppose. The documentation for such a letter is pretty early, and as I said, Eusebius is pretty reliable, so I suppose it's possible, and many Eastern Orthodox churches believe it to be a fact. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Jesus had dictated several letters during his lifetime. But I'm not sure about this one, and I don't know if there's any way for us to be sure. But what I'm quite certain of, however, is that Jesus did indeed, beyond a shadow of a doubt, write seven letters, or he dictated seven letters, keeping in mind that the Apostle Paul also dictated most of his letters rather than writing them with his own hand. And though these seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor were written after Jesus's lifetime on earth, I believe we can trust that they are, in fact, directly from Jesus written to his churches. Now, some have argued that each of these seven letters are not actually written to seven seven literal churches in Asia Minor, uh, but rather to seven periods of church history, essentially. Uh, But, I see no real evidence of that. I believe it's actually safer to view them exactly as they appear to be. Letters from Jesus to seven real and historical churches in Asia Minor at the time when the book of Revelation was written that also speak directly to all of our churches in the current day spread all across the earth no matter where you are We can get truth from Jesus for the church from each of these seven letters from Jesus to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. We have timeless commands, wisdom and truth from Jesus here. So let's go ahead and read them, and then we'll discuss those letters individually. So this is Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Write to the letter of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum, Thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding on to my name, and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you, where Satan lives." But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, so repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead." Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery." Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So four letters today in the second chapter of Revelation and three more Letters in the third chapter of Revelation. Let's cover letter number one, Ephesus. So the church at Ephesus was strong in many ways. Apparently, from what Jesus writes, they were strong in good works and they persevered. They didn't quit in the face of opposition or difficulties. They were well known, even by Jesus, of not tolerating people that were evil And they exposed false teachers and false apostles. They apparently had good and solid doctrine and biblical beliefs. And yet Jesus has a very strong warning for them and a strong punishment if they do not heed his words. Verse 4, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what is the love they had at first? What is the first love the Ephesians had abandoned? Well, I believe passages like Jeremiah chapter 2, 1 and 2 gives us the answer. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and announce directly to the Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. So the Ephesian church was strong in doctrine. It was strong in the word. It had strong character. They endured in an admirable way. They were well known for doing all these good works. But the problem was that their love for God and his son was waning. Like Israel, they had abandoned their first love, the love of their youth. What a sobering and terrifying warning for us. We can be a doctrinally sound church, like biblical beliefs known for our good deeds. And yet, if our love for God is not first and foremost remembering that Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we abandon that first and foremost great commandment of Jesus, then we are in danger of ceasing to exist as a church because Jesus himself puts our light out. By the way, I note that today Ephesus is now a ruin, an ancient and abandoned city, and it has been for centuries. Second letter, to the church in Smyrna. This was a church with little in the way of material resources. They were literally poor, struggling financially in pretty much every way. Not only that, but the church was persecuted by a strong group of non-Christian Jews. And Even beyond that, Jesus says, more suffering is coming. It's around the corner, and some of the church members will be imprisoned by the direct action of Satan itself, himself. So in the service, this is a church that is in deep, deep trouble, and yet it's one of the only two out of seven churches that Jesus writes to in which he gives them no rebuke. Instead, Jesus encourages this church and says to them, I know your affliction and your poverty, But you are rich. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, friends, let us never assume that the strength of a church should be reckoned in terms of how prosperous it is. Third letter, the church of Pergamum. What would be the best city to plant a church in? How about the one where Satan's throne is not... (laughs) except that's where the church in Pergamum found itself, in the city where Jesus says the throne of Satan was. That sounds less than ideal. Actually, it sounds terrifying, but what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that Satan's throne was there? Well, here's Dr. Sam Storms with a great answer to that question who has actually been to Pergamum, he says, Upon entering the city, one couldn't help but notice the gigantic altar of Zeus erected on a huge platform, some 800 feet above the city during the time of Revelation, looking down on its inhabitants like a great vulture hovering over its prey. Many have sought to identify Satan's seat or throne with this altar. Pergamum was also the center for the worship of Athens and Dionysius, However, the most distinctive and celebrated cult of all was dedicated to the worship of Asclepius, often referred to as Savior in Greek mythology. Asclepos was the son of Apollo and was thought to have been the very first physician. The symbol of Asclepos was the serpent, which has led some to identify the throne of Satan with the shrine erected to the worship of Asclepos. But above and beyond the worship directed at these pagan deities was the fact that Pergamum was the acknowledged center in Asia Minor for the imperial cult of Caesar. In 29 BC, this city received permission to build and dedicate a temple to Augustus Caesar three years before Smyrna was granted a similar privilege, and perhaps more than any of the other six cities, the people of Pergamum were devoted to the worship of Caesar. Were it not for the fact that greater is he who is in us, than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4, it would be frightening to hear that, say that Pergamum is where Satan dwells. Although this may simply be synonymous with Satan's throne, we see in verse 13, it's possible that this is another way of saying that evil was present in Pergamum in a particularly powerful and concentrated way. Could it be that Satan had some sense in some sense, made Pergamum the focus of his earthly base of operations. To those believers immersed in an explicitly satanic atmosphere of idolatry and wickedness that Jesus says... I know where you dwell. To a people struggling by grace to remain faithful when those around them revel in faithlessness, Jesus says, I know where you dwell. To a church that must at times have felt abandoned and alone and given over to the enemy, Jesus says, I know where you dwell. We have already seen that our Lord knows the churches for. Revelation 2.1 tells us he walks among them. In this letter, however, he makes it clear that his intimate knowledge extends not only to the works of his people, as in Ephesus, and to the tribulation they endure, as in Smyrna, but to the environment in which they live. I know where you live, he says. He's not ignorant of the fact that the Christian church is set in the non-Christian world and that it feels on all sides the continuing... Continuous pressure of heathen influence—that's a quote from John Stott, by the way. Jesus was fully aware that Pergamum, of all the cities in Asia Minor, would be most severely threatened by pagan influence. Thus, the place where Satan's throne is most likely refers to the primary role of Pergamum as the center of the imperial cult, and as such, the center of Satan's kingdom in the world at that time. Finally, fourth letter, Thyatira. Jesus challenges the church at Thyatira and the church. At Pergamum, for essentially the same thing, tolerating false teachers and false teachings. For Pergamum, it is the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, and for Thyatira, it is the teachings of A. Jezebel. He gives a similar warning to all adherents of false teachings and teachers. In verse 16, repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. We yet live in an age of an abundance of teachers who teach different doctrines than what was taught by Jesus and his apostles. There are an abounding amount of false teachers, and Jesus himself will come and fight those teachings and teachers with the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. So let that encourage and frighten us both, dear friends to cleave, hold on, adhere to the word of God and spit out and run from all teachings that teach otherwise. Amen. Well, let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of November. It's John 14, verse six. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He is the only way. Good day to you, friends, and God speak.